Well, good morning. I'm here to introduce Bill 10, the Financial Statutes Amendment Act 2023. If passed, this bill would implement a number of key policies included in this year's budget. Budget 23 secures Alberta's future by growing the economy, strengthening health care, creating more jobs, and focusing on public safety to support Albertans. It comes with a commitment to strengthen Alberta's fiscal stability and ensure the province's long-term financial prosperity. As we know, Alberta's revenue is volatile and impacted by global markets and events beyond our control. This creates unique planning challenges and highlights the need for a framework to help guide our fiscal decision-making. Bill 10 proposes to fill that gap by implementing a new fiscal framework for the province. Alberta's proposed fiscal framework would provide flexibility for revenue swings while adding more rigor around expense decisions which are within government's control. First, the framework would mandate annual balanced budgets with limitations on in-year and year-over-year increases in expense, with the exception for specific circumstances such as an unexpected disaster or decline in revenue. Second, it would set policies for the allocation of surplus cash with at least half of any surplus going towards debt repayment. Any remaining amount would be allocated to a new Alberta fund, which would effectively serve as a holding account. Funds held in this account could only be used to fund additional contributions to the Alberta Heritage Savings Trust Fund that could be held for additional debt repayment in the future or one-time spending initiatives. Ultimately, the framework would guide responsible fiscal management while providing the ability to meet Albertans' needs both now and in the future. It would allow us to continue to deliver the programs and services Albertans rely on while using their hard-earned tax dollars efficiently. We're also streamlining the process to further grow the Alberta Heritage Savings Trust Fund. Currently, legislation requires that all of the Heritage Fund's net income not required to inflation-proof the fund is transferred to the general revenue. The proposed legislation would retain all income in the fund and would require a directive from Treasury Board to transfer any amount to general revenue. A compelling data point that's worth noting. If we had kept all of the previous earnings in the Heritage Savings Trust Fund from day one, instead of the $18 billion that we have in the fund today, we would be approaching $300 billion. As a lifelong Albertan, I wish we had been in a position to start saving earlier. However, the best day to start is today. This legislation will also allow us to address some of the most urgent needs we've heard from families, students, businesses, and municipalities throughout the province. It will enable us to make life more affordable for students by limiting the average domestic tuition increase to 2% for most public post-secondary institutions starting in 24-25. It will support expanding enrollment at our private career colleges and help address Alberta's workforce shortages. Bill 10 will enable us to move forward with a new agri-processing tax credit that will improve our competitiveness and help attract large-scale investment, diversify the economy, and create jobs for Albertans. The Alberta Agri-Processing Investment Tax Credit would provide a 12% non-refundable corporate tax credit to eligible corporations that make a minimum capital investment of $10 million in value-added agri-processing in Alberta. As well, Bill 10 also makes changes that would cover dental, drug, vision, and other supplemental health benefits for children adopted in the province, making us the only jurisdiction in Canada to do so. 
We would also increase the adoption expenses tax credit and offset a portion of the cost of adoptions to help Albertans who want to start or grow their families through adoption. Another issue we came across while talking to municipalities across Alberta is a need to have more predictable and consistent funding. Our government has listened. We're delivering through proposed amendments to the Local Government Fiscal Framework Act that would tie future municipal funding levels to changes in provincial revenues. Bill 10 would also update the revenue index factor in the Local Government Fiscal Framework with a legislative amendment that will strengthen the partnership with with municipalities. Starting in Budget 25-26, percentage changes in municipal funding levels would be equal to percentage changes in provincial revenues from three years prior, allowing municipalities to plan more effectively for the future. In other words, municipal funding amounts will increase or decrease at 100% of the change in provincial revenues, rather than 50% as previously legislated. And finally, Bill 10 builds on this government's commitment to cut red tape by enabling Alberta to participate in the national implementation of a new delivery model for financial information in the securities regulatory system, saving companies time and money. Other red tape reduction amendments in the bill would create new revenue opportunities and streamline policies for credit unions as well as strengthen Alberta's horse racing industry, supporting rural communities across the province. Altogether, these amendments play an important role in securing Alberta's future. Thank you, and I would like to introduce uh, MLA Dan Williams to talk a little bit more about our changes to our charitable donations tax credit. Dan. Well, thank you, Minister. I'm very happy to be here. Uh, So last fall, I introduced a private member's bill uh, that amended uh, the Income Tax Act so that we can increase to the same rate that we give political non-refundable refunds and tax credits uh, also to charities. So instead of a total 25% refund on your first $200, you are now going to be getting, with this amendment that the ministers included in Bill 10, 75% of your first $200 to any registered charity that you donate. Charitable donations um, are so important to the foundation of our province. Charity is the watchword and watermark of Albertans, who we are as a province from our very beginning. This is a great opportunity for Albertans to give, continue to give, and if you aren't giving, today is the first day to start giving now. Uh, This bill also is one slight amendment from the private member's bill to have it come into effect as of January 1st of this year so that it come into effect for this upcoming season. Uh, and folks will be able to get that tax refund at 75% of the first $200 in this fiscal year. I'm very glad to be here, and I'm very glad that the minister has so wholeheartedly endorsed and supported the private member's bill that has now become part of Bill 10 so that Albertans uh, can give more charitably, and we support them in this time of difficulty with affordability crunch. This tax cut, this relief, this ability to give to charities is going to help the charitable sector, uh, the nonprofit sector, and Albertans as well uh, as they give to their favorite charities. Thank you. Perfect. With that, we'll open it up to Q&A. Uh, we'll start in the room. We'll do one question, one follow-up as usual, and then we'll go to the lines if there's any. Um, anyways, we'll start it off who, with the first question. So that's $300 billion. That's uh, one half of the shoulda, woulda, coulda. But if you're, if you're not, if, if you're not um, using that money in general revenue, then you're either going to have to raise taxes, cut, or do both. So what should have been done? If, if you're not using those royalty revenues, if you're keeping them as savings, how would you pay for all the stuff Albert has? 
Sure. So, I mean, when we take a look back, I, I think it's important to do the analysis and understand the value of compound interest in that Heritage Savings Trust Fund. We can't go back and, and change decisions uh, back in the day. But what, what we can do is bring responsible fiscal management from today forward. In other words, ensure that we're delivering most efficiently. Uh, back in 2019, we set out a four-year fiscal plan that would, over time, over four years, carefully, thoughtfully, surgically uh, bring our cost of delivering government services to align with that of comparative provinces. That's, and that was an important step in ensuring that we can actually move forward in the future and leave the earnings in the Heritage Savings Trust Fund. So it's really all part of the package. Uh, responsible fiscal management, um, sustainable spending is part of the equation to ensuring that we can leave the earnings in that Heritage Savings Trust Fund. Um, and on Budget Day, you said it would be the, the shame and scandal of breaking your own law that would prevent... Um, I thought I said 100 days in jail. Let's not forget that. But um, the the piece the PCs had uh, multiple fiscal frameworks over the years and broke that. They ignored it when they didn't want to anymore, and they still had a four decade long dynasty. So, so what makes you convinced that people are going to hear this? Sure, no, that's a great question, and uh, the, the reality is. Um, a fiscal framework can be changed. We bring it in by legislation, and future governments would have the ability to change it. But uh, I, I believe that if we bring in a fiscal framework with uh, the appropriate flexibility, enough flexibility to accommodate uh, a volatile revenue structure, which we have in this province, uh, a, with enough flexibility to ensure that we can respond in a meaningful way, in, a, in an appropriate way to any disasters or emergencies that we might encounter, uh, or, or again, to any any other more technical anomalies, such as uh, you know non-cash uh, accounting changes or um, Alberta Petrochemical Investment uh, Program support. If we bring in a fiscal framework with the requis- requisite flexibility, I believe that these rules will be durable. They will work for Albertans, and there will then be a real political cost to changing them. I think that's what we want to establish here. If we brought in fiscal rules. Uh, that are obviously not appropriate, then governments can and should change them, and there won't be a political cost. If we bring in thoughtful fiscal rules, then for governments to move outside and uh, effectively revoke those rules, there would and should be a political cost. That's the goal with this fiscal framework. Um, A lot of people we've talked to say that the framework could be a little bit more, you know, stricter. For example, that provision that says that, you know, you could make a deficit if revenues drop by a million, um, sorry, a billion dollars since last um, quarter of the year. That's actually the situation we would have been in this year, yet we have a huge surplus. You, You could have spent even more. So... Isn't there room to kind of, you know, make the rules a little bit tighter so that you don't have that kind of situation like we're in right now? Well, there's, you know what, I I love the fact that Albertans are fiscally conservative, firstly. (laughs) But these rules have a layering effect. So we have a requirement for a balanced budget with exceptions. As you've noted, uh, a major decline in revenue is one of those exceptions. But the fiscal rules uh, or the fiscal rule that limit expense increases, uh, operating expense increases year over year to population growth and inflation, that rule also is a layering. And that will ensure that, you know, governments can't use one flexibility to, you know, kind of sell the farm um, on the other one. 
So again, these rules, I believe, work well because there's a layering. The, the other thing I would note, uh, within these rules, within the balanced budget requirement, um, is this requirement, that governments cannot run more than three deficits in a row for any exception. That's going to require governments to ultimately deal with the challenge of a structural deficit should we see, a, again, a structural change in maybe our expense profile or, or especially our revenue profile. Did you follow? Yeah, uh, yeah on different topic, uh, adoption, there's a lot of, of changes to help new families who want to adopt. Uh, and there's a lot of, also specifically for families who would adopt a child in government care. So can you tell me what was the impetus to help them? And was there one specific for Alberta children in government care? Well, the, ultimately, we as Albertans have a responsibility to our most vulnerable. And uh, children without homes, without parents, I believe, would are, are you know chief among the most vulnerable in this province. And so we really believe we have an obligation. And, and, and I fully expect that uh, this would align with Albertans' priorities to ensure that we're creating an environment where adoption can take place as seamlessly as possible that uh, families, parents that would look to adopt a child can do that with uh, sufficient support. And these children, um, after they've, you know, found their new family, can have additional support through our health care system. That's been, that's been the impetus. During the leadership campaign, the UCP leadership campaign, um, I think you and, and some other candidates had talked about streamlining the adoption process. It was often in response to questions about the topic of abortion. Um, so I'm wondering how much of this comes out of an, uh, uh, an impetus from, from your party and your party's members to try to um, improve the abortion system, or not the abortion system, sorry, the adoption system in Alberta um, as it relates to uh, not making any changes when it comes to abortion access. You know, this is about supporting children that need a home. This is about supporting children that... Um, you know, can benefit from parents. And so, again, it, this is about just ensuring that uh, parents who want to adopt a child uh, have every ability to do so, that, that, there's not, that we can lessen the financial burden, that we can ensure that we're supporting those children uh, after they found their new home. Can I also ask uh, Mr. Williams a question about um, some of these changes too? I mean, uh, the, your private member's bill passed last year, so... Changing this to be retroactive to January 1st, 2023, and if I'm understanding this correctly, so then the 2023 tax year, people would be eligible. So when they file in April 2024, it's included. Um, was this, does this represent a change of heart, or was this an oversight in the original legis legislation? No, not at all. Uh, the original legislation was very simple. It had two clauses. One was the, the amending of the formula. Um, from 10 to 60%, and then the other aspect of it was when it came into effect uh, upon proclamation, um, which would be a decision of cabinet. Uh, and we left that with flexibility, knowing that there could be the need for the Minister of Finance and Treasury Board to have a, f a consideration of this. It's a private member's bill, so it's not spending government revenue. In an important way, it's a non-refundable tax credit, um, but it also has financial implications, so we want to make sure we work closely uh, with Minister Taze and his team. So uh, this ended up being um, the way that gave us the most flexible in how I drafted the bill initially uh, with the support of the minister so that he could implement in the way that made most sense. And after reviewing it in the new year, the best way was for us to have it come into Bill 10 uh, and have it retroactively applies of uh, Jan 1st, which we always knew was an option and was probably the favored one. Perfect. We'll take one more question from the room, and then we're going to jump to the line. So, Michelle. Yeah, um, question for the Minister Tapes. Um, I want to ask you about, I think we're going to drill down a little bit here into some details. 
Um, expanding enrollment at career colleges, so the measures that, that you're taking on career colleges will expand the enrollment. Can you tell me specifically what you're doing um, there? I, 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 it's, it's kind of vague in the, in the documents that we, we received. So what is that? What measures exactly are you taking? So, so effectively, with uh, private career colleges, it will uh, change their status to independent academic institutions. It will raise their profile. And uh, it will um, ultimately result in those institutions um, being able to offer additional programming. That's really what changes. And, and so much of, certainly a, a big part of Budget 23 was to ensure that we were providing more training opportunities for Albertans. Again, we've got, you know, as I travel around the province, um, you know, a common denominator across sectors and across regions is the fact that so many employers are, are short-staffed. They can't find the talent uh, and uh, you know, the expertise to, to fill positions. And it's also important as we head into a time when there's so much opportunity in Alberta, we see an economy diversifying at rates I've not seen in my lifetime. We want every Albertan to have the opportunity to participate in the Alberta Advantage. And in many cases, this requires reskilling uh, or additional training. We just want to make sure every opportunity is available. So private, so private career colleges are private businesses, right? So they pay tax. It's true. Okay, so making switching them over to be independent um, educational um, academic institution. Thank you. <laughs> Does that change their tax status? No, it doesn't. Okay. They would they would remain taxable. They would remain taxable. And the other thing, does this make them more eligible for government grants to like? Does that change things there? No, I, I don't believe it will make them more eligible for government grants. But again, it will it will provide a change in profile, and it will uh, we believe it's going to result in additional programming being offered by these how, uh, private how so individuals. Also, exactly like with additional programming that would suggest they would get more funding. No, I, I believe it will it will just again in, increase their profile. Which again, uh, we're hopeful will result in in just more programming uh, offered by these private institutions, who actually perform a very significant role in in training Albertans. Minister, how does it raise their profile though? Like the average Albertan doesn't know the difference between a private college and an independent academic institution. How how does that raise their profile? It, this is a small change. It's a small tweak. That uh, again, uh, we've taken the advice of our advanced education minister on this one, and this is part of a, a greater suite of changes in Budget 23 to ensure that we're doing all we can to create additional training spaces for Albertans. We're just going to jump to the lines quick and then we can come back to the room for final questions. Um, operator, can you put through the first caller? David Bowl, 630 Chet. Hi there, Minister. Just a point of clarity, if I may. Um, regarding the mandating of the balanced budget going forward, we've seen budgets in this province be pretty closely linked to energy sector revenues. Um, should there be a shortfall, let's say, in revenues from energy sector, tech sector going forward, given the commitment to develop cultural links to municipalities' funding, could that result in budget cuts going forward to municipalities or certain portfolios, or is there some flexibility with the file? Uh, great, great question. Uh, we will be linking the LGFF funding, local government, government fiscal framework funding, which is really um, – envelope capital funding to municipalities. We'll be linking changes in that funding to provincial revenues. And so that will be, you know, both up and down. Now, over the long term, of course, we expect revenues to continue to climb. I think that's a reasonable assumption. But within, you know, uh, any given period of time, there could be, you know, one-year anomalies where revenues would drop and then municipalities would share in that reduction. Did you have a follow-up, David? No, he got it right on for me. Thanks for your time, Minister. 
No worries. Operator, can you put through the next caller? Chris Barco, Calgary Herald. Hi, this is an off-topic question for the minister. Uh, minister, uh, Ottawa is moving ahead with the emissions reduction plan, and the oil sands producers are saying that they are not going to be able to meet the 42% emissions reductions by 2030. I'm wondering, from your department's uh, analysis and look at it, how significant would the impact be for the province's finances if the federal government moves ahead with the ERP and doesn't make any changes? Uh, that gr- great question. We're doing that work right now. Uh, we believe it would be significant not only to the province's finances, to the provincial economy, but also to the national economy and to uh, the Canadian government's finances as well. Look, uh, I'll say this. For an energy superpower that Canada is and should be, and with a world that desperately needs affordable energy, and with a world right now that uh, where dark lines are being drawn around nations where, um, you know, there's geopolitical tension and trade partners and allies are more important than effort than ever for Canada to have unrealistic emissions caps, to have a price on carbon that's completely out of touch and to have a regulatory quagmire that includes, you know, a federal impact assessment act such as Bill C-69 that ultimately halts big projects. To have that kind of business environment at a time like this is irrational and grossly irresponsible. That needs to change. Chris, a quick follow-up? Yeah, just turning to the, uh, I guess, the energy revenues, specifically your budget's looking at about a $20 uh, differential between benchmark West Texas Intermediate Crude and the Western Canadian Select. And we've seen that differential cut almost in half since the beginning of the year. I'm just wondering how significant is this going to be for your own government's revenues uh, if this persists, and do you, is the department expecting that to persist? Well, great question, Chris. Uh, I've been very encouraged to see that differential narrow. I, th- I think, as you know, for every dollar change in the differential, it affects government revenues by approximately $600 million. It has a massive effect. And so uh, I would love to be slightly wrong in the differential. I would, you know, it'd be great if it stayed at $15, $16. We're projecting $19.50 over the course of the year. And of course, uh, we're also expecting that uh, Trans Mountain Pipeline will be coming on and will start to fill later this year. We know that's going to have a, a positive effect on the narrowing of that differential. Perfect. No one left on the lines. We'll take it back to the room for any one or two more questions. Then we have to run. Um, yeah. About uh, tuition cap for students. They were happy about that, but some people warned us that that might also put a cap on university spending because it's their main source of revenue. So do you, how do you expect them to deal with this potential cap on revenue? Do you expect them to yeah. hike the price of parking? or like? <laughs> no, great question. And uh, I, I'm confident that we'll be working our, uh, with post-secondary institutions, uh, Minister Nicolaides, our advanced education minister will be working uh, with those institutions to ensure that, you know, there's a, um, a way forward here. Again, the tuition cap, um, tuition limitation, I should say, of 2% will not come into effect until uh, the next school year, so 24-25. So that will allow us to deal with any you know, issues in the next budget. And that, that's an important consideration. We have world-class institutions. And they also, uh, there's going to be great enrollment pressure in those institutions. We're making, you know, some key uh, capital investments this year 
uh, at McEwen and their School of Business, and I would anticipate additional investments in upcoming years. So ensuring that those institutions, you know, ha- are, are adequately funded is critical. We can deal with that in the next budget. Perfect. Do you want to follow up? Uh, no follow-up. Yeah, I was, I was going to follow-up. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, so, so it's capped at 2, 2%, but then the CPI can go above that. And so I'm, I'm wondering, are you creating a loophole here where as maybe, maybe it's increasing revenue or maybe it's cutting? Like I've heard there's a possibility of selling off computers at a tech program where people need these computers to, to do their work. Um, what are you going to do to, to make sure that gap is filled? What's on the table? You know, our, our colleges and universities have done a great job at um, looking at their costs as we have as a province over the last four years, and they're delivering more efficiently than ever. Um, you know, is there a, you know additional room? I'm sure I have full confidence that those executive teams and boards of governors will be looking at their institutions to determine if there's a additional efficiency that can be found. But uh, again, right now, we're, what we're wanting to do is send a signal to Alberta students that in spite of the fact that we're in a time of inflation, inflation rates we've not seen in decades, they can count on reasonable tuition going forward. Right now, our tuition rates are, you know, somewhere very consistent with the average in the country. We, we want to ensure that Alberta tuition remains affordable. So Alberta students can count on an increase not greater than 2% in that academic year. And we'll work with institutions to ensure that they have adequate funding to deal with their needs. Yeah, how do you make sure that... that- cost, maybe the tuition's going down, but the cost could be downloaded to students in other ways. So what are you going to do? Well, I mean, we're, we're predicting inflation um, is, will we'll be leveling out. We're, we're predicting, you know, inflation levels of just over 3%. And so that's certainly a far cry from over 6 and And we expect inflation to be heading to that 2% range. So that would be consistent with, um, you know, with, with the limitation on tuition increases. But our commitment is this. We will work with our post-secondary institutions so that they have adequate funding to be able to offer the programming that Alberta students need. You say work with. Um, sometimes that's <laughs> that means like encourage them to find ways to make the revenue up themselves. So, I mean, is the government prepared to step in with additional funding to sort of smooth over this transition to the, to the tuition limitation? We're, we're committed to working with institutions to look at every option, Michelle, to look at... <laughs> <laughs> to, to look at every option um, just to ensure they're not held back. They play such a vital role in the economy today and in ensuring that all Albertans can participate in the great opportunity called Alberta. And so one way or another, we will ensure they have adequate funding. Now, first, you know, I always suggest the first option is this. Let's take a look at um, you know, our cost structure. We've done that as a province and our colleges, colleges and universities have done a very good job of that as well in the last four years. And that work is always ongoing. That's the first thing. Uh, but then secondly, um, obviously, we'll take a look at what might be required in additional to that. Now, there's also, as we see enrollment growth um, increase, there's also an economies of scale factor as well. And I would expect that our post-secondary institutions will benefit from that. But the other thing, I mean, as we all know, it's not just tuition, right? Like, you know, when you go to a college or university, there's all kinds of different fees, right? And sometimes that's, and also fees for international students, right? So you see that, you know, you might be reducing tuition, but, you know, fees might go up uh, for students, individual students, and as well for international sure. students. Sure. I mean, I mean, there's a... So there's how, a can you, how can you prevent that from happening? Because that's an additional burden on, on, on students. 
Absolutely. There is a requirement, however, at our institutions that in terms of their fees, it's a cost recovery only. It's not uh, a, it's not a source of profit. So again, costs are going up and they can charge students appropriate fees relative to their costs, but not beyond that. Great. Thank you. That's all the time we have for today. Um, if you have any follow-up questions, just send me an email. And thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, just a reminder, too, that all this is embargoed until he tables the bill at around 3 p.m. this afternoon.